Alright, well good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here with us. Uh, we realize it's a busy time of year, so you guys could be a million other places, but you're here with us, and so we greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to jump right into it. Today's going to be a little chaotic. There's going to be some uh, fun at the end. Uh, if you guys don't know, the kids are going to come up and sing at the end, and you just never know what's going to happen with that, and uh, so I'm a little nervous. I remember when I was, this, I wasn't planning on telling you the story, but when I was in like, I guess third grade at the church I grew up in, we had a performance like this, and we walked out front, stood in front of everybody, and I don't remember the kid's name. I think we just called him Pukey from then on out, but kid just stood up and just puked, just like, just got so nervous, just threw up all over the place, and so it was a fun Sunday, so we'll see what happens, and uh, so anyway, so we are in this Advent series, if you're new, we're so glad you guys are here with us, we're in week three of this, and we are talking about this idea of Advent and what it means, for you guys that don't know, Advent is the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, Uh, the word Advent is a Latin word, which means the coming, or to come, or what is to come, and so it's about this anticipation This waiting period, which as we talked about in week one, we are not very good at waiting. We don't like to do it. We're very impatient people. And so to take some time to focus on waiting can be a little difficult. And so we're working through this and the ideas that come with this. And so we are also talking about the four words of Advent. And so those are hope, love, joy, and then peace. And so today we're talking about joy. And Christmas and this time of year is often described as a season of joy. It's a time to be joyful. There's songs about joy. There's words about joy. And so what I want to do is just ask some simple questions. So where does joy come from? Like, what is it? Like, what is it actually that we're talking about when we talk about joy? Where does it come from? How do we access it? How do we hold on to it? Because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about this idea of joy. Now, to start this, we're going to talk about a very old and probably familiar story, especially this time of year for most of us. And it takes place in Luke chapter 2, and it starts with this in verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will be great joy to all the people. So a couple things about these verses that we need to take a look at. Uh, First of all, um, when an angel of the Lord appears, they were terrified, right? And, And I don't know if you've ever been like, you know, if God would just come and tell me this or an angel and there's like shows about this. Um, It would be terrifying if an angel appeared to us right now, and we would all be scared. So this is like a common thing, but they're scared. They're these shepherds. Little details about shepherds. Uh, You guys probably have a manger scene um, at your house, and uh, in those manger scenes, you have these three kind of guys with their nice big beards and their staffs and all this, and they're usually older gentlemen. Well, what we know about first century shepherds, especially in this region, was more than likely these were not wise old men who would hardened themselves through the years of this. These were more than likely kids, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. More than likely, because of this region that they were in, these probably weren't even their flocks. They were the flocks of Rome who ruled the world, or they were the priestly flocks that would often be used at the sacrificial system during the Passover. So they weren't even their flocks. These are kids that are sent out to protect these sheep at all costs necessary. So it's a hard job. It's a scary job at times. And now all of a sudden, an angel appears to them in the middle of the night and says, don't be afraid. 
It's a little bit odd story. Second thing is why shepherds? If you're God and you're creating this story of this good news that will be for all people, you would think you might start somewhere a little different. But yet here are these shepherds, and so here is this story that we find ourselves in. So there's some oddities to it. The other thing is this idea of don't be afraid, um, this idea of fear not. This is one of the most commonly used phrases in the Bible, as we've talked about before. In fact, about 365 times we see this word or this idea appear within the scriptures. One reminder for each day of the year to not be afraid. So the angel says to these shepherds, don't be afraid, not only because I'm an angel, but don't also don't be afraid because I've got this thing that I'm about to share with you that is this message of good news of great joy. So essentially what they're saying is you might be terrified now because of life. You might be terrified because of the circumstances. You might be terrified because of Rome. There's maybe all kinds of reasons that you have fear in life, but hold on for a second because I have this message for you, this message of good news of great joy. And so there seems to be this relationship between fear and joy. And so, what is this relationship between fear and joy, and how does it work out? So, a couple questions we want to talk about today. Uh, the first one is this When we think of joy, where does your joy actually come from? Right? Where, what is the source of your joy? So, so we, I have this idea, especially in the season, that we should be joyful. And so what is the source of our joy? If we think of joy in the context which most of us think about, which is this happiness or this emotion, where does it come from? Now, for many of us, if we answered that question honestly, what we would find out is that the joy that we experience in life comes from circumstances. It comes from the idea that everything is kind of going the way that we hoped, the way that we wanted. Everything is good. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's happy. And so we have this kind of emotional tie to these circumstances. But I think what the Bible actually does is kind of gives us this understanding of joy that's actually something that's much deeper, much easier for us to kind of wrap our minds around as we kind of explore it in this relationship and what joy is actually supposed to do in our lives. And so the message is, don't be afraid because there's now joy. And what's interesting about that when we think about it is when we're fearful of things. So if you're afraid of something, if you're anxious about something, if you're worried about something, does it do any good for someone like me wearing this to tell you not to be afraid? Does that do any good? For you guys that have a lot of anxiety, does it do any good for you for me to say, don't worry about it? Does that help? No, it makes it worse because you're like, what's wrong with this guy? If he knew what was going on in my life, then he would be worried as well. And so what happens is if we're going to combat fear and anxiety and worry and things, what happens is we have to replace it with something. For example, if you have a kid that's afraid of something, what you have to do is you have to go in there and you have to convince them through your words and through ideas and things like this, that this thing that they're afraid of is not something they actually have to be afraid of, but you have to replace it with something, something like comfort. Or you have to replace it with something like actually showing them that the monster under their bed is actually not a monster under a bed. It's just whatever it might be. But you have to replace it with something. And so as we start this discussion of joy and fear and how they relate Remember that, that in order for fear to go, we have to replace it with something. And what we're going to see is there's this idea of joy that keeps popping up. 
So one of the psalmists, uh, if you've read the Bible, it's kind of a big part of the Bible. It's in the middle. And this psalmist in here, and we believe this one was actually written by David. It says this in Psalm 28. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. So whatever it is that happens next, apparently there's something within David's life that has him anxious and worked up and fearful. And so he's crying out to God for mercy. And he goes on to say, the Lord is my strength and my shield and my heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song, I praise him. So something's going on. And so David has reached out, he's pleaded, he's prayed, he's reached out to God, cried out to God. And so whatever it is that he was going through, he says that what he understands is his source of strength, his source of joy is God. And because he trusts in him and he helps me, his heart leaps for joy. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time that your heart leapt for joy? Like when, like this phrase even, like generally speaking, like if your heart is leaping, we have a problem and we need to call a medic, okay? Because something's about to happen. So obviously this is metaphorical language, but the idea is that, that there's something that happens that his heart starts to flutter, it starts to open up, it starts to leap because he understands the source of his strength. And so whatever it was that he was just facing that made him cry out, his fear of whatever that may be, that he found his source of strength, he found his source of joy, and now all of a sudden this fear has been replaced with something else. So whatever it is that you're facing, is it possible that it could be turned from one thing into something else? It's this idea that we often see with people if we talk to them as we find out the circumstances of their life or the season that they find themselves in. And it's a hard season and it's a rough season. There's all kinds of things but yet there's this feeling, and maybe you've experienced this before, where everything seems like it's kind of fallen apart, but there's this feeling within you that's actually everything's going to be okay. And so the angels, they appear to these shepherd boys and they say, don't be afraid. Emmanuel, God with us, is now here with us. And so there's this replacement of fear with this replacement of something else, this good news of message of hope and joy that comes in Jesus. And so where's the source of your joy? In John chapter 15, Jesus, um, he's about to leave. And so he, he's about to go to the cross. Now, the disciples don't really know what's about to happen. And, and so as Jesus is kind of unpacking this kind of narrative for them, there's all kinds of questions and thoughts. And there's even some fear amongst these disciples because if Jesus is going to go, then what is going to happen to us? And so Jesus teaches this idea to them. And he, he kind of says this to him. He says in John 15, he says, I have told you this. So I've told you what's about to happen. So now you know so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so he's saying, I'm telling you these things so, so you know and so that your connection to me can remain even with about what's about to happen. In fact, if you read the rest of this, and we didn't put it up there, but he says basically, you know, now is the time of suffering and all of these things, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And so what Jesus is talking about is this belief that joy can actually transcend the circumstances of what they're about to face, the emotions and the feelings and everything that's about to happen. If we turn back to the Psalms again, there's this Psalm, and we're not sure who the Psalmist was, but there's this interesting dynamic here. And it says in Psalm 30, verse 11, you turn my wailing into dancing. 
So again, you took me from one state to another state. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. So the picture again is being painted of going from one state to another state. From one degree to another. Now, this term sackcloth, if you're not familiar with it, it's this idea that in ancient times, if you were going through a season of something that caused you to have anxiousness or worry or grief or fear, what you would often do is kind of put on this public display. And what you would literally do is take like a sackcloth. So imagine like a burlap sack and you would wear it and you would cover yourself in ashes because you wanted everybody to see that you're going through a time of mourning so that they would not only feel sorry for you, but also hopefully join in your grief and your pain to walk alongside of you and to plead to the God or God on your behalf that you would go through this. And so what the psalmist is saying is, I was going through it. Anybody ever gone through it? And all of a sudden, you, God, you turned me, you clothed me in something new, and whatever it is that I was fearful, worried, anxious, grieving, you turned to me from this place of sackcloth, and then you clothed me with something new, and the thing that you clothed me with is joy. Now, The reason we set this up is simply this next statement. See, a lot of us think that joy is about happiness, but happiness fluctuates. Happiness changes. One minute we're happy, the next minute we're not. One day we're happy, the next minute we're not. The next day. One season we're, we're happy, everything's working out, right? And then the next season it's not working out so great. So it fluctuates. But how do we have joy? See, what we have to understand is joy is not rooted in happiness. Joy is actually rooted in another word, and that word is hope. Joy is actually rooted in the idea that I can have hope in light of the circumstances, in light of the season, in light of some of these things that I face, that I have this hope that this is actually moving towards something, that I have this hope that's rooted in God, that's rooted in that something better is to come, that actually the belief that tomorrow can be better than today. And so it's rooted in hope. There's a guy named Cornell West. I don't know if you're familiar with Cornell West, but he was a professor at Princeton for years. And, and particularly in the, the mid-2000s, there was a lot of stuff that was happening culturally. And not that there's not things happening culturally now, but in this season, there was a lot of things happening. And, and so he was interviewed by Rolling Stone. And when he's interviewed by Rolling Stone, they basically ask him, because these things that are happening, um, there's, believe it or not, there's varying views of the, the way our country is going right now. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Some people think it's going great. Some people think think it's not going so great. And, and so they were going through this season kind of like this. And so there's these varying degrees of how people are feeling and the optimism that they're having about the way that our country is going. And so Rolling Stone interviews Cornell West, and, and this is fascinating, his response to this, to this idea of something to be fearful of or something to be hopeful of. And he says this, the degrees of optimism and pessimism don't exist for me. I am a prisoner of hope. I am going to die full of hope. I love this quote. The degrees of optimism and pessimism don't exist for me. No, I'm full of hope. Hope allows me to see something in spite of the good or the bad, the happy or the sad. 
Whether I feel optimistic or pessimistic about the season or situation I find myself in, whether I feel good or bad, listen, I am a prisoner of hope. And so what that means is I'm going to die full of hope, which means I can be joyful in, in light of whatever it is that we might be facing. I can be hopeful. See, I believe this is kind of what the psalmist is tapping into when they talk about this idea of being going from a state of sackcloth to a, a clothing of joy. They see hope in everything. Like whether I'm happy or sad, no matter what I'm facing, see, I have hope because my joy is rooted in something else, something bigger than me, something greater than me, and it permeates the whole way I see everything. So it's possible, according to these writers and these early Christians and these early believers, that it's possible to be joyful even in a season where maybe you don't feel like there should be much joy going on. Now, the pushback is this, for most of you, is that joy sounds nice, but you don't understand what I'm going through. And that's true. There are some of you in this room that I, on this side of life, and maybe ever, will never understand what it is you're going through. That's true. And you might be able to say, well, you don't understand the suffering that I've faced or the circumstances that I've faced. And so this idea of having joy in the face of suffering, in the face of fear, in the face of worry and anxiety, like it's a nice idea, but let's be honest. How do you have joy in the face of abuse? How do you have joy in the face of betrayal? And, and joy is this great idea for people who have this good kind of easy walk through life, but you, you don't understand what I'm going through or what I've been through. And so fear not sounds great, but, so fear not. So let me put it this way. If an angel of the Lord appeared to you tonight, and after you changed your pants, all right, and the angel said, hey, I, I need you to hear this. Um, you don't have to be afraid anymore. What would it be talking about? See, the reality is we could get up here and I could open up this mic right now, and all of us could get up here and list a ton of things that cause us to be anxious and worried and fearful. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he, he, these are early kind of believers in Christ, and they're facing a lot of adversity. They're facing a lot of issues. And I think one of the common misconceptions of a lot of people when they read the Bible is that like, the Bible is written in like fairy tale land. Where like everything works out and everybody's happy and everything gets, everybody gets what they want. And, but if you understand the life of Paul, like Paul actually lived a really hard life. A life filled with suffering and grief. Not everything worked out the way that he'd always hoped. And so he's writing to these early Christians to encourage them. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel, which, by the way, if you don't know that word gospel, anytime you see that or you talk about it, the, the literal translation of that is good news, ecclesia, good news, came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Now, here's the part. For you became imitators of us and of our Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. See, there's this belief, and a false one, that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's all just going to work out. 
And Paul's like, no, like you guys actually kind of went through it. And it was severe suffering. But somehow they had this joy that was given to them by the Holy Spirit. So a couple thoughts. First of all, when we think about these passages and the ones that we've been looking at, first of all, it seems very clear that joy can actually transcend your circumstances. That joy can actually, joy can actually transcend whatever you're going through. That it can be difficult and it can be hard and it can be dark and you can be suffering, but joy can still be fully present. Which raises the question for all of us to answer, is it possible to be in great agony and yet also tapped into a deep-seated joy? There are people in this room right now that I could invite up on stage. I won't because that would be embarrassing for everyone. But I could invite them up and they could tell you the stories of some of the things that they've gone through And I'll tell you, there have been people in this room, in the next room, and on the room on Thursday night that I've had to counsel through different things, where they're like telling me the things that are going on in their life, and I'm just sitting there going, man, like, that, I don't, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm like, I hope it works out, you know? (laughs) And then we'll get towards the end of it, and I've literally heard people say, you know, but like, I just, I just got to believe it's going to be okay. Some of you could get up here and say the same thing, that you went through this kind of stuff, and, and yet inwardly, as Paul writes, that outwardly we're wasting away, and outwardly by everybody else's kind of view, everything should be falling apart, yet inwardly there's like this peace. Or as Paul says it, it's like we're being renewed day after day. So first of all, the thing we see is that apparently this joy, when we find our root of it, can transcend our circumstances. Number two is it becomes obvious as you read these texts that joy is a gift that is given, which actually makes sense because if you take the word that we use for joy and, and you trace it back to its original uh, Greek language, um, it, it's the word kara, which actually means and comes from another Greek word, which actually means gift, which means that joy is actually a gift. In the 51st Psalm, the psalmist says this. He said, you make me hear sounds of joy and gladness. Let the bones that are crushed be happy again. What we understand about the 51st Psalm is it's actually kind of like a prayerful psalm. And in this part, it's not even like a prayer. It's almost like a, hey, God, make me feel this again. Which raises the question I was thinking of. Um, have you ever asked for joy? We ask for a lot of things, but have you ever actually asked for joy? Like, have you ever been like in the state of prayer and you actually say this, you know what, God, my heart is not leaping right now. In fact, to be honest, it feels like someone took all of the air out of it. And so God, I, I, need, I need you to help me feel something again. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever asked for that? The other thing that we see in this is that for, for many of these early Christians and early believers, it, it wasn't just that, that joy could transcend everything, and, and it wasn't just that joy is this gift, but for them, it was also this thing where it was like joy was just always around. They just hadn't tapped into it. One of my favorite Psalms, and there won't be a slide for it, but I encourage you to look it up later, is Psalm 65, and I'm just going to read it for you. Um, it says this. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. 
Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water, provide the people with grain, for you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges, you soften it and shower and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow, the hills are closed with gladness, the meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. For this psalmist, his understanding as joy is not that necessarily joy has to come from somewhere else, but that joy is actually built into the fabric of all of creation, that it's just out there. It's just this belief that you can just find it if you're looking. And I actually believe that. Because here's what I know about you and I. If all you ever do is focus on the bad and the negative, you will find it. It's out there. And so what we do is we just focus and we look for that. But have you looked for joy? Because I'm telling you, what you look for, you will find. Because yes, there's a lot of negative and there's a lot of ugly, but there is also a lot of amazing things happening. And maybe we have to not only learn to tap into it, but also we have to be aware of it. Maybe central to this understanding is awareness that not only is joy a gift, but that life itself is a gift and that the creation we find ourselves in, we can find joy everywhere we go. A couple weeks ago, I was um, launching into this um, rant. I don't know if you guys ever do this. You guys ever have pity parties for yourself? Anybody? Just me? Okay. And uh, so I was having one of those, and um, I was just, I was really just like, all I could see was negative. And you can find yourself there. It's easy. I was counseling with a guy a couple years ago, and uh, he was going through the same thing. So I'll tell his story, not mine, because it makes me look better. So, um, so we're going through this, and he's kind of having the same thing, kind of throwing a pity party. By the way, I would never refer to us counseling as pity party. Just go with it. All right, so we're going through this thing, and he's, he's having these things he can't oversee. And we're just going round and round and round, and he cannot see past whatever this thing is. And I can't tell you what it was, but he can't see it through it. And, and we just kept going around and around. And eventually I got to the point where I know him, I know his family. So I stopped him. And I said, hey, like, your kids are pretty great, aren't they? And he's like, yeah, they're awesome. And he's like talking about his kids. And you can see like kind of the joy light up in his face. And I'm like, yeah, I know your wife. Like, she's, she's, she's a great person, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he kind of lights up a little bit. And it's like it was this brief glimpse of like lighting up. And then it was like, yeah, but let's get back to what we want to talk about. And so then he gets into the negative, and I'm like, okay. And I was like, yeah, but like, your kids are pretty awesome. Like, your family's great, right? And he's like, yeah. And then I said, I said, you know, there's this weird thing I remind people of. Do you actually believe that God is for you? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, why don't we just start there? Like, I know that there's this stuff, but man, you got a lot to be joyful about. You got a lot of gifts in your life. As we talked about a few weeks ago, I think that some of us just need that reminder, that awareness of all of the things we already have to be joyful for. Just like the psalmist, we just got to look. You ever have those like moments of joy in your day? 
And I think what we do is when we think about joy, we think of these big, it gives it circumstances, emotions, but just in the ordinary. A couple weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, I was having this meeting, and uh, the meeting did not go the way that I'd hoped that it would go. It wasn't like bad, it just wasn't. I walked away, like, you ever had those meetings, you like, walk away and you're like, I, I don't know what that was. It wasn't good, but I don't know what it was. And so I'm at this particular restaurant, and you'll figure it out here in a second, and I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm kind of frustrated with how the meeting went, and then I saw that they had buttermilk pie. Have you guys had one of those? And it took me back like 40 years to like my grandparents and having buttermilk pie. And so I got a slice of it. And you know what? It was pretty good. And all of a sudden, I just had to find the joy in the day. For example, um, has anybody had like a really rough week? Anybody? You can raise your hand. It's okay. Anybody up close? Anybody over here? All right. Have you ever had ice cream? Yeah. So here's a Dairy Queen gift card. Go and get yourself some ice cream. They're, they're pretty amazing, these blizzard things. that they, They're on to something there. And see, I think what happens sometimes, I think what the psalmist is trying to get at is there's joy. You just got to look for it. Here in about 15 minutes, you guys are going to see a whole lot of joy come across this stage. <laughs> and it's going to be chaotic, but you will see joy. There's this story that kind of taps into all of this, I think, for me. It's in the Old Testament. And it's this idea that, as we've talked about, is that we can find joy in the ordinary. It's all around us, so we can see it. But also the source of our joy is kind of rooted in this faith that we have in God. And so in this story, it's in the book of Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, um, the people of Israel have kind of gone through it. And if you don't know their story, I'll give it to you real quick. Um, They've been conquered by one group of people after another. And so it started with the Egyptians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Syrians, and then the story we find ourselves in with Jesus is is Rome. But in this particular story, they've been conquered by Babylon, and the Babylonians are going to be defeated by the Persians. And so they're going to go from one captor to another captor. And, and it's been a long time. It's been this kind of long period where they've just been kind of been in this waiting season and in this mourning season. And, and several generations of people, this is all they've known is captivity. And, and so they've lost their scriptures. They've lost their faith. They've lost themselves as a nation. They've lost the temple And Nehemiah kind of walks into this, and and at one particular point of the story, they find a copy of some of the old sacred texts, what we refer to as the Bible. And, And the people, these people have not in their lifetime ever heard these words. And so Ezra, another prophet, he he gets up and he starts reading these ancient words of these people's story. And the Bible tells us that all of a sudden they start to weep and they start to cry out loud because it's like all of a sudden, like, it's like their identity, their, their hope, their joy, like it's starting to be returned, but it wasn't sad. It was like this emotion of just like all of a sudden they've been through so much, so much defeat. Have you ever felt defeated? And so Ezra and the priests, they, they read these scriptures and these people find their source of their hope and their joy again in God. 
But it's not just about this idea of just hearing these words. There's this moment at the end of, of this story, of this encounter that I love. And so all of these people are crying because all of a sudden like, they, they're holding on to God again. And for some of them, it's the first time in their life they've ever seen this or heard these things. And then at the end of it, Nehemiah says this. He says, go and enjoy some good food and sweet drinks. Send some to the people who have none because today is a holy day of the Lord. Don't be sad because the joy of the Lord will make you strong. And it's like this story where it's like, hey, like they tap into this, this root, this source of, of God as their strength. But then Nehemiah is also like, yeah, and guess what? Creation is pretty awesome. Go and get something to eat and get something to drink and celebrate. I grew up in a particular version of church in which everything that was holy had to be really somber and sometimes a little boring, if I'm honest. And yet in this story, like Nehemiah is like, hey, you guys have heard this text and it brought up this, these feelings and these emotions. Now, why don't you go out and throw yourselves a little party? Why don't you actually celebrate a little bit? By the way, did, did you know this idea repeats over and over again in the scriptures that, that when the Bible describes whatever the end of all of this is, whatever happens at the end, it's like this description we keep seeing over and over again that it's like a party, it's like a feast, it's like a reunion. It's like something to be joyful about and to celebrate. So maybe we need to tap into that a little bit more. See, what I've learned is that there's, there's, there's a relationship between fear and joy. Fear is always about the unknown. What could happen? What might happen? And all of the possibilities and all the calculations of all of the ways in which this can fall apart and go wrong. And now fear and worry and anxiety fill us and consume us. And so fear is about the unknown. But do you know what I'm discovering is that joy is about the known, and an angel appeared to a bunch of shepherd boys and said, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear is about the unknown. Joy is about the known. That Christ has come. And because Christ has come, I'm here. And I've got some people with me, and I'm breathing, and I'm going to be open to the, un, the wonder and the awe that is life. And even though we're in a season of waiting, my joy, my strength comes from him. And even though we're in a season of waiting, what I know is that God, Emmanuel, has come. And I think that in this season that we find ourselves in, this holiday season, the point of it is to reclaim this message that, hey, because we know what has happened in Christ, there is no room for fear anymore. Because we've all got great news of great joy. And so we're in an Advent season. But the Advent is not just about waiting, it's about what comes in the waiting. And we open with this idea of being hopeful. And last week, Chad took us in a direction of love, and we now know that love has a name. Love has a face. We also know now that we can have joy as long as we know our source of joy and where it is. 
and it can transcend the circumstances of our life and that joy is actually all around us. We just got to look. And if we have hope and we have love and we have joy, then maybe it's possible for us to have peace. And how many of us in this room would give anything just to have some peace? True peace. Is it possible? Well, you'll just have to come back next week. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the joy that you give us. That as the psalmist says, that you are, you are our strength, you are our joy, we find it in you. And God, what I love about that message is that you transcend the circumstances that many of us may face, maybe even in this season. God, I love, as the psalmist says, that joy is everywhere. We just got to be open to it. We just got to look for it. And God, may we continue to be people that find joy and hope in everything, even in the ordinary. God, my prayer is that during this season, that we do not lose hope. We do not lose ourselves in the hustle and the bustle, but we remind ourselves that even though we're in a season of waiting, God, that we're also in a season filled with joy and hope and love and yes, even peace. And all of this was made possible because there was a baby that was born and a bunch of smelly young shepherds heard the message, and it changed everything for everybody. So Father, help us to know that message to be true, to not dive into the fear of the unknown, but to dive in and let our lives be shaped by the known. And so we love you, we thank you, we thank you for the hope, the joy, and the grace that we find in you. In your son's name we pray, amen.